going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Once again, if you are tired of listening to me, turn the radio off. Like, you have complete control over me. Like, poof, be gone, Joey. Like, but if you like listening, stay tuned. And be sure to go like the Joey Clark Radio Hour on Facebook. Not, you know, but Facebook and their algorithms are going to ask me to pay more money anyway. So I don't even know why people, I ask. It's, it's out of the principle of the matter that I know you're out there listening and I know that you care. Anyway, enough about me. We have uh, Michael Fritz. Fluffy. You're the guys yeah. who said, you got to have this fluffy. guy on, we'll call you Fluffy. <laughs> All right, so it's just... I, I, I always wanted to have long hair, and uh, growing up in, like, private schools and stuff, they wouldn't let me have long hair. Um, and so my parents were like, you know, you can grow it, like, thick and up. So I grew, like, thick and up hair, um, and uh, it was very fluffy. And nice. It was way before Gabriel Iglesias. I was so mad. I don't think he's... I don't value him as a comedian. <laughs> I don't think I'm he's not a... fat. I'm fluffy. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. Um, I, it's been a while since I've watched him. And your fiance, Kaylee. Is yes. Here. Hi. How are you? Great. Great. Now, Michael, you are from Montgomery. Well, I was. Yeah, I was born in Birmingham, um, but then I grew up in Montgomery okay. for uh, 16 years, and. Uh, it's a kind of a love-hate relationship. Um, I every time I come back now, like I for people who can't see me, I have like a really long beard yeah. and hair that's also very long, uh, halfway down my back, some way it's down my back. Um, people stare at me and like, like will like hide their purses or like lock their car, like look at me and lock their cars and like hide their kids and stuff. And it's like I don't know where they're getting off. Like <laughs> hippies don't. Like, I, I've never seen stories of hippies, like, grabbing a kid, hopping in your car with your purse, and just, like, <laughs> zipping off uh, down the freeway. I That's... It, it, people here are just sometimes, like, really afraid of uh, things that they aren't familiar with, You're right. uh, really. And, fun, uh, different. Yeah. Well, we have the long hair thing going on in common. Yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody asked me, I did for one group, uh, and asked me anything, and that was the question, why do you have long hair? And I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, well, and then I did think about it, because I wanted to give a serious answer. And I said, at first, it came from, uh, in all honesty, depression. Um, and I've talked about this on air, and pro- people are probably tired. Joey, you're tired of hearing about your dead mom. My mom died two years ago of brain cancer. So it's like depression, just letting it go. And then it became a weird thing. The night she died, I asked my brother, what's the first thing you remember about her? She, he says, her hair. And so at a certain point, it stopped being about depression. And it's like, oh, now I can play with my own hair. Yeah, um, please don't go all Sigmund Freud on me. It's got some weird, uh, you know, anyway. Anyway, I think it's the beard part. Those are yours is well kept. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It is well I, kept. Uh, 
you know, people, every time I come back to Alabama, you know, you get those, uh, the, the Christian dads who come up and they're like, you look just like Jesus. And it's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> you should be in a play about Jesus. Well, yeah, maybe so. I once was Jesus Christ. Really? In God's spell. I was Jesus before I had the beard or the long hair in uh, some church play, but I did have a cast. So okay. it, was, uh, it, was the, it was the perfect Jesus. And I was already a troublemaker back then where I, um, you know, Jesus traditionally in Godspell wears the Superman shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was one scene at the beginning where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus where I, uh, I had to walk out of just boxers. And this is like back when I'm lifting for football and no gains whatsoever. I'm skinnier <laughs> than I am now. Uh, and so I'm like, I got to add some spice to this. So I wanted to wear boxers that had the Superman logo right on the crotch. <laughs> and that was vetoed by the director <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. Well, and I went to Catholic. Uh, uh, and yeah. where did you go? I went to St. James, actually. Cool. Right down the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We played y'all in a few. That's my only interaction with kids from other schools with sports. Yeah. Um, so got some heated things going, and yeah, we took that so seriously. Like the at basketball games, especially the the taunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun. But no, you should. I I know you're saying people might assume that you know hippies. And, I mean, y'all look like hippies. Yeah. And I love yeah. it. Like, I'm all for that. But, you know, hippies are going to steal my child away. You should. You should both <laughs> just, like, we need to save this child from this square existence and take them to a music festival. Oh, better yet. I, I, was, I, was, at, I was at Walmart yesterday. And um, I was driving, trying to park my car. And this woman, uh, older woman, is texting on her phone, phone in front of the steering wheel, uh, almost hits my car. And I was, I, I waited for her to park because we parked like near each other. And then I, I went over and I, I try to be very polite because I know that people like, you know, look at me the way that they do here. Sure. And uh, I was like, hey, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Like, uh, um, y- you know, you almost hit me. Um, uh, you were texting on your phone. Could you please not do that? And yeah. she goes, I don't text on my phone. And I was like, I, I'm very sorry. I just saw your phone in front of your your, uh, your steering wheel there, and you were a little distracted. And she goes, I don't do that. I got my grandbaby in the car. And then the the mom of that grandbaby steps out of the car. She goes, the hell are you doing talking to my mom? And Whoa. I was like, I was like, um, I, I'm very sorry. <laughs> she was texting and driving. Uh, I was just asking her not to do that. She goes, she don't text and drive. And I was like, okay, I'm very sorry. She was, she was, you know, had her phone in front of her. Um, and she was like, you better get away before I kick your, mm-hmm. and I can't say what, because uh, radio, your booty, you know, your, booty, your yeah. tail, your caboose. And I was like, I'm talking very politely to you. Um, you were being very rude back. You, you, you might have a problem like this. This is ridiculous. And uh, she goes, yeah, I got a problem. I got a problem with you. And I was like. All right, well, uh, I'm going to go. My phone started ringing. I was like, I'm going to go call the cops maybe, maybe Child Protective <laughs> right. Services. Um, and uh, so I came back out later, and I left a note on the on the window of the car, and I was like, hey, uh, I was being very polite to the two of you. Um, your daughter is already awful and rude. Please don't ruin the grandbaby, too. Wow. Merry Christmas. <laughs> wow. See, that's already too bold for me, man. You have more courage than I do. I did it blind. I, they, they couldn't see me. I just left it on their, their windshield. I, yeah, but still, yeah. it's like leaving that. It's Well, it's honesty. 
Like, I, I have been, because of the tragedy I just described, a hermit for the last two years. I'm slowly coming out of my hermit hole. But I almost want to, in this moment, if y'all indulge me, want to live a little vicariously through y'all. Because you have the coolest jobs <laughs> ever. First, tell the audience what, what your job is. So, uh, Kaylee, you can hop in on this one, too. We, uh, we write for Creative Loafing in Tampa, um, as well as for our site, uh, Festival Folks. Um, and uh, we, we basically, I, I started because I was going to write politics. Um, and uh, I started doing music with my school paper down in Tampa at the University of Tampa. Um, got into a fight with an editor mm -hmm. um, over an article. And it was, it was, it was ridiculous. But um, I basically told the editor, um, I, I told him, I told him I didn't like him yes. uh, in, in nicer words. And uh so he was like, we don't want you to write for us anymore. Mm. And I had already gotten press pack passes to a music festival. Um, and I was like, well, we're going to go, I guess. Yeah. Um, and like, I'll write the article, give it to him, like, see if he'll just publish it. Um, and then while we were there, I got a call from Creative Loafing, which is a, one of the bigger papers in, in Tampa. It's an alternative weekly. You can say whatever you want to say. Nice. Um, like you can call people awful names and just, it's awesome. And, uh, I, I got an internship there. I got hired um, after the internship. and I kind of stuck my foot in the door. I just started taking pictures when he went to events yeah. and sending them in. I was like, if you want to start paying me. And one day we ran into the editor and he said, can I get your information? Can you fill out a W-2? I was like, of course. Yeah, I'm in now. Well, so y'all are making a perfect team where you're doing the yeah. writing, you're doing the photography. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot to choose from, but... Any, like, incredible experience that pops out immediately at one of these music festivals? My favorite moment from this year was a festival called Halloween. And Halloween is a festival that happens the weekend of Halloween. Everything is crazy and beautiful. They put so much production into it. There's an area next to a lake. The lake's called Spirit Lake. They do 3D projection onto the lake. So while you're walking around, there are these big eyeballs opening on the lake. There are things moving and flying around. And uh, when you go on the other Thousands side of the of lake... With the lasers, too, just like all over the place. It's awesome. When you go on the other side, they had all of these artists set up different art installations. And one of those is this artist, I can't remember his name right now, but he makes giant people out of pallets. The one they added this year was a giant wooden spider. But what I didn't realize about the spider, usually if I see a line, I'll go get in it because I'm like, I'm gonna get something free, like something good is going to happen if I get in this line. But we're in the line and suddenly we are up to a big hole in the spider's butt. The, there is red light inside of this spider and there are bales of hay wrapped in plastic wrap to look like egg sacks. And there's like 20 people inside of this spider just sitting, smoking, chilling. <laughs> and I I didn't know what was happening. I was like, can I get in this? Are you guys the artists? They're like, we just saw a hole and got in. It's like, all right. I guess that's how this is working. And so it was interesting. We hung out Wait. With spider for a while. So there are people essentially sitting at a giant spider. Just so I get the story straight, a giant wooden spider made of discarded pallets. And they're essentially hotboxing in the spider. Yes. Yes, yes indeed. That was exactly how it went. That sounds awesome. One of my favorite things, um, we're friends with, uh, I'm, I'm sure you know I'm Afro Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have his number. Um, we we talk sometimes. Uh, I, interv I interviewed him one time, have a great interview with him, like going all the way from his past to like 
uh, last February when he hit a woman on stage. Like we talked. Oh we my! Went, I didn't even hear about that. It was it was a misunderstanding. Okay. Um, but uh, he thought it was some dudes that were jumping up and down on stage. But oh. he, uh, we hung out with him uh, for a, a long time after his show. The last one he did in Tampa, um, and he is. He is fantastic. We smoked with him a nice. ton in the green room, which is just a dream. I mean, for any uh, degenerate, like, sitting there smoking with Afro Man, like... See, I bring on all types of this show, ladies and gentlemen. No, and, and I am... I am... I put myself in the renegade degenerate camp. I really do. Uh but you know, I bring on like you know chief deputies from the sheriff's department, and we've had. <laughs> I hope to bring on you know different pastors and preachers if they're willing. Yeah, I mean, I I like all types, and I think when you're going through your own personal journey in life, uh, that's really what I'm trying to make this show. Like, how do I foster certain virtues? And I don't mean like, oh, here's the rule book. And let me follow it. It's yeah. like, no, it's an action you have to take in life. If you want to develop courage, you got to get out there and, and really be yourself. And I, I feel like, because it is Christmas, mm-hmm. George Bailey without the good deeds. <laughs> so there's hardly anything redeeming. And, like, I'm stuck in this town, and I want to get out. And you did it. You got out. Um, you were telling me off air about being in Los Angeles homeless for a week. And at first, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> but you, it was a great time. Yeah, I, uh, I, so I wrote a book when I was 17, and uh, it's not a great book. Don't go read it. It's Fiction? It's a fiction book, yeah, it's okay. a novel. And it's actually set in Montgomery. Um, and it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, com- it's like a comedy novel. Um, it might work as a screenplay for like an Amy Poehler movie, but um, <laughs> not really so much as a novel. And uh, it, I, I had published that, and one of my buddies was like, hey, come out to L.A., uh, you can work with me a little bit. He was uh, doing like script revisions for a company, um, and so I, I did some of that, um, just as kind of like an internship. Um, and then... Uh, I did comedy all up and down the strip. That was fun. But there was one day we were, uh, me and one of my buddies were like, hey, we're bored. Uh, let's go to Venice Beach. And uh, we went to Venice Beach. And there was this man named Pockets. Um, Pockets. <laughs> I love Pockets. Yeah. <laughs> I include him in a lot of the stuff I write. Because uh, I, I, I do like short stories, novels, uh, stuff like that. And uh, Pockets is just, he's quite a character. He, he wears like a leather jacket, a toga. And nothing else. And he walks with a staff sometimes, has long hair and a beard, much like mine is now. Um, pockets, He, when I first met him, he stuck out his tongue, and he had a tab of acid on his tongue that he had kept there for five days. Um, pockets is... He, he, smi- he walks around Venice Beach with a big cardboard sign that says, Smile if you touch yourself. He's not asking for money. He, he just wants people to smile. And it makes everyone smile because they laugh at the joke of He's it. He's bringing back Diogenes. <laughs> like, if I could rub my belly and get rid of my hunger, I would. But, but Pockets was, he was just a, actually like surprisingly smart guy. Like He came from a, a rich family and just decided he didn't want to own things. Yeah. Um, he had an iPhone in a plastic bag. He would take out every once in a while and his mom would call him, be like, hey, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, but he would just give away anything that he uh, came across. I mean, like he had, I don't know, he, he was just a really cool guy to hang out with and I wasn't doing much else and I actually wrote a book about my time in Los Angeles like every single day and I'm still working on editing it and like putting it together to to flow better Um, but I was like hey this could work (laughs) Um, I could you know just hang out with these guys and I I had some incredible experiences that I 
I mean, would not be able to trade the world for it. It was nuts. Yeah. Um, it's like getting out there and, uh, you know, finding yourself by just meeting other people. I, mm. You know, I, to give you my full story, and I'm sure, w- I'm guessing we would have political disagreements. Uh, but, uh, you know, I used to be that sort of brutal, stereotypical libertarian. Mm. Where, you know, very, almost, you know, I'm still awkward, but, uh, <laughs> you know, no, here you just don't have the logic correct. If you actually study economics, then, uh, then you know, you'll understand. And if you read the Atlas Shrugged, and actually Atlas Shrugged's too low, read the Fountainhead and Anthem. Um, and I was just an a-hole about it. Okay. Uh, and... I went on this journey. It starts with um, actually a, a trans woman named Deirdre McCloskey. Used to be Donald McCloskey, and uh, she has like seven PhDs and from rhetoric and linguistics to oh. economics um, to literature and philosophy, all this stuff. And I believe she started as a labor economist, a Marxist. And now she describes herself as a classical liberal, but she wrote this whole book about, uh, it's called the Bourgeois Virtue. And when she proposed it to an academic conference, the secretary laughed at her. She said, this book is meant for that woman who laughed at me, not the, like, in spiteful way, but here's where I'm coming from. And she criticized, uh, especially where I was coming from, kind of being a market pig, is that the greed is good point of view, the mm-hmm. over-reliance of prudence, as she put it, in self-interest is a terrible way to go about life, and it cannot order society. Economists are wrong. And she talks about the different virtues with the the classical sort of Greece-Roman virtues along with the, you know, Christian faith, hope, and love. And as I, I start doing this deep dive into her work, because all three volumes ended up being like 2,000, 3,000 pages. It's Unreal, like every chapter, I'm having to go look up what, what does that mean, <laughs> um, and it, it sent me on this journey of the personal is more important than the political. That in this crazy modern world where we have trouble making sense of even the basic things we rely on every day, like I use the internet every day, you're probably making a living a big part of what you do. I'm sure with writing, you rely on the internet, yeah. but. Whether it's the internet or we're still dealing with the ramifications of nuclear weapons, as we see in our everyday coverage, it made me step back and say, I need to heed what a professor of mine told me. He said that what we're missing is exactly what we're doing right now, face-to-face conversations bearing witness to other people. And so I'm at this point where I'm tired of, of the politics. I'll get into it with folks if they want, but I'm tired of trying to win a fight. Uh, Like, I I really just want to meet interesting, thoughtful people, figure out where they're coming from, and if I'm in that community with them, how do I build that community? Not, how do you fit the ideological rule? How do you fit the norms of society? Um, So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying thank y'all for just stopping by randomly to some random guy's radio show. Uh, Because this is um, a lot of fun. Now, every day, and I don't have one prepared yet, and this is perfect, I do a record of the day. I've gotten really big into vinyl. And most of what I'm listening to is like old soul, R&B, funk, a real big Johnny Taylor kick. Yeah. Um, And if you haven't listened to Johnny Taylor, do. If you like any sort of soul music, really good stuff. Um, In particular, Live at the Summit Club. He was kicked because of time off the Watts Stacks fundraiser they did Mm -hmm. after the Watts riots. And that's a great album. But 
I want to pick y'all's brains because y'all have been to so many of these music festivals. Who should we pick as the record, the song of the day? And I can find it on the magical thing we call the internet. There's so much good music. It really is. <laughs> I think I'm, uh... Hmm. Well, we just got a lot of great John Denver records. Really? Um, yeah, that we, we went to I found them a, in a thrift store. They were all a dollar. It yeah. was a great day. Yeah. That's yeah. where I love about vinyl is like people have been bringing me literally dusty stacks that they haven't touched in years and I find all these gems in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the John Denver song that y'all maybe found that was like, okay, that's that's a great one. The song in particular? Yeah, or any anything. Like this is free for I like uh, it's like sunshine or something like that. Sunshine on my shoulders? Yeah. Well, it's a great song. Here we are. Sunshine <laughs> on my shoulders. Now I keep thinking of that Dumb and Dumber scene, that John Denver's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it is, John Denver, Sunshine on My Shoulders. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I'm just having a discussion with Michael and Kaylee, having some fun. We'll be right back after this break. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. In my eyes can make me program you're listening to the joey clark radio hour talking to michael and kaylee and michael you're from montgomery i didn't get your backstory though kaylee where are you from i was born and raised in tampa i okay. moved around tampa a lot but pretty much always stayed in the same area cool cool um tampa's a better place to stay than montgomery i would suspect <laughs> no it's very diverse it's very very different than Montgomery, definitely. Coming up here to visit is weird. No, my only connection to Tampa is uh, my uncle, and I started watching football with him in sixth grade. He's a huge Buccaneers fan. I mean, he was a fan from like when they started as a franchise. Yeah. When people wore paper bags on their heads. <laughs> and Though isn't... I guess Tampa's... I always had this mentality of there's a lot of old people in Tampa. There's or at least St. Petersburg. <laughs> so Tampa's Tampa's a great place because it's incredibly diverse. Like you can be on one street and it's literally the projects like government housing. Then two streets over, two three streets over is like four or five million dollar mansions. Like they're because that's the entirety <laughs> of Tampa. It's yeah. just the whole map is splotches of different areas, and it really, really, um, I like a lot of places. 
you'll have the richer areas of town and the not rich areas of town. When I was younger, I lived in the projects. Like, yeah. I was very poor. And I got to meet so many different kinds of people. I met so... That, like, there were a lot of situations that as a kid I shouldn't have been in. Like, right. we had prostitutes for neighbors. Like, right. there was a lot of stuff that did happen that was bad, but there was always, always different cultures around. There was always different religions. Diff like, there's so many different kinds of churches in Tampa. You'll pass all different religions. And I feel like when I'm in Montgomery, I pass a lot of churches and nothing else. Yeah, we get a, it's a, I refer to it as the city of a thousand churches. And, <laughs> um, you know, for a fairly small population. And, you know, I, I told you all before we went on air that I did a show where I talked about I... Uh, I was raised Catholic, and I learned a lot, but I'm, I'm an atheist. But I, uh, you know, the response has been incredible. It's been mm -hmm. genuine good faith. I got one negative comment online, and before I could respond to the guy saying, I'm, this, uh, what you said is not where I'm coming from, he already he deleted his comment. So he kind of already knew he reacted mm -hmm. in an over-the-top way. And I'm, I'm genuinely searching. And for me, if people say, what is your... Your faith, and I take that to be my identity, where I'm coming from, where I'm going, who I am now. Mm. I think the most important things in our lives are the the stories we tell, the narratives we tell about ourselves and about the outer world. And I think to your point, if you're always stuck in the same lane, the same little bubble, mm -hmm. you miss out on the potential for all these different ways of understanding what life is and what the world is. Mm -hmm. uh, like a new favorite show of mine, it's probably a few years old already, is Alone, where it's it's not like Survivor, where it's obviously rigged and not reality, reality TV. Uh, these folks are essentially trained, put through the ringer, about 10 of the 100, you don't see much of it, are selected to be put, and they chose Vancouver Island in British uh, Columbia for a little while and they're alone and the point of the game is to last as long as you can until you're the last one and they do a weekly medical check but other than that you've got a few supplies nothing that makes it too easy an emergency button and go and what's amazing is people don't you know one guy left because a bear charged him I get that I mean some people their house blew down or their gill net messed up but most of the folks leave for psychological reasons, um, where they miss their kids, they miss mm -hmm. their loved one. Um, and it makes me sit back and go, how many different ways there is to live life? Like you said, you can live life on the beach or you can mm -hmm. you know, be the guy who's just making people laugh on the street, and life's just fine. Yeah. That I mean, I'm interested again in like more of the things you've learned, kind of getting out of where you grew up, especially Montgomery. That yeah. So, have you seen most of the country? I mean, I've seen uh, honestly, I've seen most of the country because of uh, choir tour trips with the church. Um, <clears throat> we used to get some really cool opportunities because, like, every year we'd go to a different state somewhere. Like, in, in middle school, it was always, like, Orlando or something like that. But then in high school, you get to go to, like, New York or, like, um, we went to Colorado. We went to... Uh, we went down to Miami one year. Um, and it's cool because, like, we got to sing at all these different, um, like, like Major League Baseball teams. Like, we got to sing the National Anthem at their games um, right before. So I was singing at, like, a Rockies game, yeah. a Nationals game, like... Uh, the rays and everything, um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of the, a lot of the country with the church, and especially another thing that um, 
being with the church, like, really um, opened my eyes to is they would always, you'd go to these cities like Miami, like a city where you think, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome, or, like, um, Colorado even, where I thought, I don't know, we're going to drive around and look at trees or something like that. Um, We go to, like, the worst areas, like like the the really bad government housing, the, uh, the community centers that really need, like, people to come in and like a lot of the times it was just playing with kids um i mean it was just like little five-year-olds who just don't come from as as uh, well off of a, of a family um and they're just <clears throat> i don't know like i think that opens your eyes to how human um everyone really is i mean the people people in those situations like those are just kids like yep. they're those kids aren't trying to to um, cheat the welfare system. Those kids aren't trying to 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 do any harm. They're just they're just having a good time, and it's sad because they're not in a situation where they have like enough food or enough um, or even like toys or anything like that. Like I know when I was a kid, like I would sit inside playing with toys all the time, and like you go to communities like um, like some of these lower income places and kids play outside like kids are running around together like um playing in a broken fire hydrant or something like that and um to them that's that's what they know that and it's just i don't know it's a completely different perspective well Um, and and you see where oh george carlin has a great bit where he's talking about uh whatever happened to a kid with a stick just out in the back playing with a stick and digging a hole. And, you know, it actually, I related to it because I, that was a lot of my childhood. I mean, I'm also part of the generation where it's, it's Christmas morning. What did Santa bring? A Sega Genesis? Yeah! <laughs> and so, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I think it's that in-between generation, the older millennials, mm-hmm. where you remember using that imagination. Sometimes I worry... The kids who are very well off are so stuck in their devices, so yeah. stuck in the virtual world, and then other kids feel so left behind because you don't have the latest thing. Um, and that's what warms my heart the most is when you see most folks, and I've seen this because I'm usually in fairly politically heated environments, no matter people's political persuasion, when it's about helping that kid right in front of you, people do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get real cynical, again, with just talking politics, politics, politics. And then to see that, it's, it surprises me. It mm. makes me go, okay, there, there's some good in this world, um, and I don't want to spoil Star Wars or anything. There is a great line from some character that says, we're going to win this not by destroying what we hate, but by saving what we love. And I went, well, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Mm. Now... We're getting way too sweet and heady here. I want some more crazy stories from the uh, from the music festival scene. Uh, it, it can involve drugs. It can involve. I mean, it depends on how much you want to give away. It can involve. You know. You know. I've asked people about like, or have there ever been moments where you're at a party and you're having a great time, and then you go, "Oh man, I could die tonight." Like, those moments, I've had those moments in my life. Any more crazy stories you guys want to share? Huh. Um. There's so many, it's hard to... Right. We, the night before we came up to Alabama, we uh, went to a show in Tampa that, it wasn't a festival, but it had a very big festival feeling. It's at a goth bar in uh, 
the club district of Tampa. And there's this man who we later found out his name is the senator and he's there every night. He's butt naked, wearing nothing very but a old. condom. Very old. Just wow. He had a semi-chub the semi entire night. Semi-chub all night. <laughs> it's kind of impressive for his age. Like, he was very old. It was, it was shocking to turn around. And I tried, like, slyly taking a picture of him for the paper. I didn't want to give it away too much. I didn't know how he'd feel, how I would feel with him catching me. So... I tried taking the picture, and he sees me, and he just reaches his leg out real far, puts his hand up on the wall. He turned around and had a nice butt shot for me. He he was really excited about it. <laughs> well, it, you just wonder. Some people become so comfortable, like, being themselves. Like, I, I mean... I've been doing yoga, so I might do the like the move, like mm -hmm. you know, bring the leg up above <laughs> the head. But I don't know if I'd want to do that. I could start naked. And the senator, I think that's that's an incredible name for, really for to be a guy whose thing is to be naked in public all the time. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, and it, <laughs> well, and you know, I was telling you all very, you know, Louis gets in trouble for doing what he did, and it, yeah. it, he should have gotten in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sitting there listening to uh, Doug Stanhope say, yeah, I used to do that all the time. And I have photo evidence of Sarah Silverman laughing at me for doing that all the time. And I'm still going to do it. And, like, I mean, not in your hotel room, like, randomly under the auspices of my favorite comic, but there's something a little bit crazy about the comedy world, about the, mm. like, I'm thinking Burning Man. I know there's, like, somebody told me there's a whole sex tent. Like, I mean. Yeah, the orgy oh, yeah. tent, yeah. And it's like, okay, we have this very um, permissive culture yeah. in, in a lot of parts of the country, um, and yet it feels like there is a... Um, and this is what I've been worried about. I'm a huge fan of, like, the work of Oscar Wilde. Mm. So I don't like the Victorian Puritan impulse that anything that having to do with sex is wrong. But then I also am like, well, obviously, these people abusing their power should be called out, too. And it's yeah. about striking that balance. I mean, and, and again, I'm in my bubble. So I, all I know is Montgomery. And everybody yeah. knows everybody's business. And I'd imagine when you get out to other parts of the country, it isn't a shocking... Well, I mean, the way you described it, I'd, I'd imagine a grown man <laughs> wearing only a condom is a little... It's a little shocking. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> it's shocking. not the first naked old man we've seen at one of these events. Not the same not guy Not this either. year. Yeah, not <laughs> wow. even this year. Like, there have like, been multiple naked old men. Yeah. We were at Zen Awakening um, not too long ago, and uh, it was like in November, and uh, we are at the Sacred Fire where they played drums all night and people are spinning fire and stuff and all of a sudden like most of the drums stopped except for like two guys and there's this <laughs> very old tall naked guy standing right in front of the drums and his thing he i this guy was was really a character he uh he was like flopping he was mm -hmm. he was he was dancing in a way that like it was just like just bouncing like, mm -hmm. on the balls of your feet. Right, 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 right. Yeah. right. And uh, people were like, <laughs> should we stop him? And then this uh, old lady dressed like a gypsy was like, that's how he expresses himself. And then everyone just kept going. And uh, Like people just accept it. <laughs> yeah. Music and festivals are the most accepting place. Everybody is so loving and accepting. If you need something, somebody will give it to you that you have never seen in your life. You'll never see them again. It's people are incredible there. A lot of times when you leave, people will say, 
remember this feeling that you have here and take this with you into the world because this is what will make the world a better place. So is what is it about music that's so I've heard somebody describe it as it, it is like a, a shaman. Like you, you have your especially I guess with EDM, I mean you have yeah. like usually one or two guys or one or two DJs you know, running everything, but it, there becomes this relationship with the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm speaking from ignorance here. I've not been. It's uh, it's honestly like EDM. I I didn't like it at first. Like I when I had I had friends who would play like EDM, and I was like, where are the words? Like this right. music doesn't mean anything. Um, and then I actually went to a festival. We thought it was a folk festival, um, but it was an, a crazy EDM festival. <laughs> like they're. I've never seen anything Timbuktu? like it. Yeah, Timbuktu? Yeah, Timbuktu. That was in Alabama, it, yeah, actually. Yeah, it nice. went for one year and never came back. Uh, it was Understandably. a mess. But it was... We, we camped right next to the stage that went to like 7 a.m., just like loud EDM, just doom, 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 all Couldn't night long. Couldn't sleep because the floor was vibrating. But it's it's one of those things that like EDM culture comes from like a, a tribal kind of place. Like they... Because it is like a lot of drums and and percussion and stuff like that. But the people, I mean, not only are you camping in tents and everything, but people like look out for each other. And people, uh, they don't do it as much anymore, but the peace, love, unity, respect, like the the player or whatever. um, That's how the the scene started is, is built on literally not even like, oh, we love this music. Just, oh, we love this community. We love these people. And the dancing that people do at stages is really just like, just yeah, like it's it's tribal, like, like what you'd see in front of like a, a fire at like a, a powwow, and a lot of the times um, Native Americans, uh, like there's there's a tribe that does, they go to Zen every year and they set up um, this really big like fire area. They they teach classes on like like Native American traditions and stuff. They have uh, the the grandson of uh, Chief Sitting Bull. And like, um, they're they're really into the culture as well because I think it comes from a similar place. Um, yeah. And beyond EDM music, um, it really is just the energy that gets put from throughout the crowd um, with that peace, love, unity, respect, that sort of atmosphere. Because there was the Lumineers at Okeechobee yeah. Music Festival last year. Not an EDM act at all. It was very folksy. But I remember walking through the gates, and I just instantly smiled. Everybody was smiling and dancing. There were moms who had their kids who were dancing, spinning their kids around. And people were grabbing people next to them and dancing. And everybody was just so happy. It is just this energy that (coughs) spreads over the crowd. And I don't know if... It's like the vibrations of the music help carry it through people. Well, and I tend to think, and I, I can't prove this, but I, I like to think that music probably exists before complex language, especially, you know, basic yeah. rhythms, mm-hmm. um, that music probably was this communal thing that brought people together, that you you can recognize, and, and it, it's, it's not abstract. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, in a way, you can have music theory, but it is literally a physical sensation with your eardrum. And that has always fascinated me, the different angle from whether you're the performer or the, you're the audience member. And I remember giving a speech saying that live music is better in that sense. That when you can go see somebody live and actually connect with them in the moment, uh, mm-hmm. there's something about it that, you know, and that's why I put up my phone when I go do something like that. I mean, it'd be cool to document, yeah. but I 
oh, I'll remember it up here in my head. Uh, it It's worth it. Now, I'm looking at the clock here. We got about eight minutes left. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it goes fast. Um, and I don't know much of y'all's backstory in terms of how y'all meet, but I know like a sentence or two. Mm-hmm. But I want to put it this way. Go two and a half years ago or two years in a, in a, a month or so, <laughs> and do you expect to meet in the way y'all did and then now fast forward, it's two years, and you have all these experiences. It just, to me, when you step back and you think of, again, as a narrative, it's an incredible story. So how did y'all meet? So it, we shouldn't have met the night that we met. Um, and I know it sounds super cliche. cliche. Mm-hmm. I would have, if I would have written it, I wouldn't have put it in that coffee shop. But <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> I was there's an open mic um at this coffee shop. I had just uh I'd actually left a week early um from Alabama to come back down to Tampa. I just uh got in a house there with a fraternity brother of mine and uh I was like, Yeah, I'll just go there, maybe try to get a job or something, do some comedy, get my, my foot in the water. Um and so I wasn't even going to go to this open mic. Like I had uh like uh, drank some during the day and just wasn't feeling it. Right. And uh, then all of a sudden, the girl that I was dating at the time, who lived in Montgomery, um, texted me and was like, "Hey, you have to get to that open mic." Um, and I know, I know. <laughs> and you uh, marry. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I go to the. Uh, to to the coffee shop I actually um, um, make it to the open mic and then Kaylee I, I wasn't supposed to be there my brother went and did open mic there every single week he is going to start hosting that open mic soon and I was very depressed at the time I was in high school I was, I was very very depressed I had really bad anxiety and I mm. was just going to stay inside but as my mom and my brother were walking out of the door, I yelled downstairs. I was like, I'll go, I'll go. And I threw on clothes and I ran out the door. They waited in the car for me. Um, I got ready in a minute and went up there. I was sitting outside at a table. He came and sat two tables down and kept looking up at me but wouldn't say anything. Eventually, he came up. He's like, hey, uh, how long does it usually give you to perform? And then he went inside and didn't say anything. <laughs> and during his set, uh, he was he's very, very funny, so I was laughing a lot. And then he kind of moved closer to me, but still didn't say anything. Right. So I approached him, and I was like, hey, do you do poetry? What else do you do? And uh, I told him I would tell him some of the information on open mics in the area. But he gave me the wrong number. <laughs> I didn't he, mean to. I wasn't. He, he forgot a number in my phone. Wasn't like the rejection hotline. And uh, <laughs> you just just said the wrong number. Yeah. This I, uh, sounds creepy, and I promise you, it wasn't coming from a creepy standpoint. I just really liked him. He had mentioned going to another open mic, and I knew the man who op- who ran that open mic. Added everybody on Facebook. So I went through his friends list until I found Michael, and I messaged him on Facebook that night and was like, "You gave me the wrong number." And uh, he came over the next night. We stayed up for hours. Like, we put on a movie, but it wasn't even the typical Netflix and chill. It was like, we put on a movie and talked for hours and hours. We ended up the night by, like, crying. We were bawling our eyes out by the end of the night. He came and saw me every day for a week. And then I got kicked out of my house. And 
he was like, come over. He's like, I don't know what to do right now, but we're going to get through it Figure together. It and it's been two years now, and we've wow. figured it out together pretty well. Worked really, really well. Her, My um, best friend. Yeah, we uh, we actually live on the water now in Tampa, like right on the bay. Yeah. Um, we can see the sunset into St. Petersburg, like right in the middle of this clearing of mangroves. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, we've been through a lot. But, uh, I mean, we got... At our first house that we were at, we got held at gunpoint and chased through the hood um, at like 3 a.m. after a party. Wow. Yeah. I've only been held at gun. Well, I've been held at gunpoint twice in my life, and both times by cops. Uh, <laughs> one, we were shooting a silly movie, like uh, our own cops and robbers movie. We're like, get on the ground, get on the ground. Oh, my goodness. And then the second time, I'm, you know, cleaning up my apartment mm-hmm. like, in college. I'm like, I'm, should I smoke? No, I won't get anything done. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's just, you know, I won't get anything done. I'll do more important yeah. things. And no, I'm a bum. I'm, look at all these wine bottles. Let's clean up the apartment, Joey. So I clean it up. I'm walking out with a trash bag, take one step off my apartment stoop, and look to my right, and there's a officer in complete SWAT gear with a rifle trained on me. I'm like, what's going on? Blue co- closed cop comes around the corner. Come here, son. And he said, just sit down. And after like five minutes, like, Hey, what's going on, man? It's like, am I in trouble? I'm like, no, you're fine. We would have done something if you're in trouble. But there, we got this call that this guy's holding his girlfriend hostage. And, oh my goodness! Oh and my I'm God. like, can I go back inside? He's like, yeah. And then they knocked on my door again and uh, said, can you have somewhere to go? So I go to a coffee shop. Find out later because everybody talks after the police leave that it was the girlfriend had left him. It was a relationship gone bad. Called it in on him so they would catch him but he had already cleared out as he got wind of it so they flash banged an empty apartment like a couple down from mine but yeah I'm, oh I'm wow twice in my life but i'm you know i'm getting off track because y'all's story <laughs> those moments like literally the moment of you stay up all night talking and it's like you find somebody yeah. that you can you find your journey together you find your destiny together it's awesome um, mm-hmm. Thank you all for being here. It's been a bit of a, a serendipitous moment, I think. Because <laughs> I think there were other people that were planning to come by. And yeah. This is the first time we're ever meeting, so I, I appreciate y'all doing this. I appreciate you having us. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And uh, bring, in, bring a little different culture to Montgomery. I appreciate <laughs> that. And again, we're going out with John Denver, Sunshine on My Shoulders. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Love it. Michael, Kaylee. Great show. That I could wish for you. I'd make a wish.